King James Bible University presents The Lost Sheep of Israel with Bible teacher Elder Michael Johnson teaching the world the true meaning of Isaiah 28.9 and 10. So, have your Bible, notepad, and pencil ready as he goes through today's study. Shalom, everyone. Shalom. I want to welcome everyone to King James Bible University. I'm Elder Michael Johnson for the Lost Sheep of Israel. We're going to be doing today something a little bit different. We'll be going through a, uh, a Bible study, which um, is pretty much standard on what we're doing in school. So it's a different format than what you probably, who people watch it, normally different than what you normally see. So we're going to jump into this and we're going to be going through Amos 7 1 through 7 17 and we're going to get the understanding basically on this passage here we want to go through this chapter it's going from 1 through 17 and we want to understand what it's saying because there's some things in here that could be hard to be understood if we're not understanding based in precepts what some of these words mean to where we can have a full understanding and know what it's talking about. So with that, we're going to get started and we're going to read through this. And then as we go through it, I'm going to be breaking this down and I'm going to show you basically some of what I do to where I can pull precepts to where I can understand what it's saying so when I go back and read it, I have a complete understanding of the passage as a whole besides sitting there trying to take guesses or going to some commentary to understand what it's saying. So we need to understand what it's saying. And then as we understand what it's saying, now we can go and we can get the complete understanding by pulling the precepts and then we'll understand exactly what this passage is saying. So let us get started. So we're going to go through, we're going to start at Amos 3, and we're going to look at verse 1. 3 and verse 1. And it says, Thus has the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth, and lo, it was the latter growth after the king's mowing. So here we want to understand this passage right here what it's saying. Because what you need to do, you need to look at grasshopper. So we need to understand what it's saying when it says that. We need to know is it talking about grasshoppers physically or is it talking about figuratively? That's what we're going to find out the understanding of that. And then it's saying in the beginning, in the shooting up of the ladder growth, and lo, there was a ladder growth after. So it was something after the king's moins. So we're going to find out what these moins is also talking about. So we're going to we're going to find out those, but these are something that you jot down. So we need to jot down if you have your pen and paper, you're going to jot down grasshoppers. And you're going to look at the king's moins. You know the ladder growth is something talking about later on. So we want to know what these king's moins are. This is one of the ways that I study 
to where I can pull out the keys and the precepts of scripture to where I can get an understanding from a little here and a little there in line upon line to where I can understand what this verse is saying. But we're going to read this down to three and then we're going to start breaking this, this verse down to find out what it's saying. So we're going to go on over and it says, And it came to pass that when they had made an, an end of the eating of the grass of the land, then I said, O Lord God, forgive, I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. The Lord repented of this. It shall not be, saith the Lord. So this is some more in your notes that you need to write down. What we want to write down. It's saying when he had made an end of eating of the grass of the land. We, we have to find out why is it talking about mowing grass and eating of the grass. We want to understand that. So for you to understand that and for you to help go into deeper studies even later we, I'm going to show you exactly how we're going to pull this and we'll get an understanding. So once you pull this, we're not going to use no commentary and we're not going to use no dictionaries to get this understanding. This is one of the things what you have to do to where you have to put in the work. You have to study to show thyself approved. And I'm going to show you how you're going to study this and you can show yourself approved to God as you do other studies not on this passage, but on other passages. But you can use this passage as an example to where you can go into further study at a later time. So here we say, eating of the grass in the land, then I said, O Lord God, forgive thee, I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise? So we already know when he's mentioning Jacob, is mainly talking about Israel. So this is what he's saying here. And then it said, the Lord repented of this, and, and it shall not be, saith the Lord. Now, for us to understand this, we're going to start pulling some of the things to which we need to understand. What do it mean by the grasshoppers when we did, went through verse 1? So in verse 1, we want to understand what do grasshoppers mean. So, on the precepts, we're going to go to Proverbs, and we're going to look at 30. And we're going to look at verse 27. So, many people think it's one thing, but we're going to see other things to which we get an understanding. It says, the locusts have no king, yet they go forth, all of them by bands. So, this is something that you're going to use later. So, you want to jot down, you know, locusts travel by bands. Keep that in mind. So, if you want to note... In your in, in you know on a piece of paper or in your notes, just put locust by band, or you can put locust travel by bands. This is what you want to make sure you understand. So you know that locust travel by bands. We're gonna go to Nims 3 and 17. Let's go over here. And we're gonna look at another little key. And a pull a precept to understand. Now this is a major one that's going to help you at a, at a greater time. It says thy crown are as thy locusts. So we know the locusts travel in a band. So they travel in like an army. They travel in groups. And this is what it's saying. And what it says. And thy captains are. Thy captains as the great grasshoppers. 
So now we know when you look at verse 1, when it says it formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting of the latter growth, now we know these are captains of what? The locusts. So it's telling this story in a figurative manner. It's not telling you in a, in a literal manner. It's telling you in a figurative way. So now we know that these grasshoppers are captains of the locusts, which are the armies. So when you look at even in the New Testament, when you say a captain, he's normally a captain over 100 men. So here it's saying great grasshoppers. So we know this is a great army. And it's not giving you a number, but these locusts are the armies of men which these captains are over. And it says, which camp in the hedges in the cold day, but when the sun arises, they flee away. And their places is not known where they are. So now we know these grasshoppers are captains. So now in, when you're looking into the literal sense, we know that it's talking about captain men. These are men that are captains of armies. And it have, you have many bands of those, but you have many captains. So you might be over on the West Bank and you have four or five captains over there over what? Bands of men. And then you have some over on the East Side and so forth. Just an example. Now we're going to look at another one. We're going to go to Exodus 10 and we're going to pick it up at 14. To where it's going to show you even more. It says, And the locusts went up over the land of Egypt and rested in all the coast of Egypt. Very, very grievous were they. Before them were no such locusts as they, neither after them shall be such. Now, this is why you can also see why it's talking in a figurative manner. You will not see nowhere in the Bible where it's talking about locusts, insects, and it's talking about insects. You follow me? So we know when it's talking about locusts and it's bringing up certain things, we have to understand that it's talking about something. And we have to find out what they are. This is why we need to see why this is saying it. So now we know these locusts went up over the land. So we know this army went up over the land into Egypt and they rested on the coast of Egypt. So we know this army went there. That's all it's saying. And very grievous were they before them that were no such locusts as they. So this army was a great army as it was saying. But now same thing. Remember we looked at the bands. When we looked in Proverbs. Let's go to 2 Kings 24 and 2. And we're going to see there where you're going to get even more interested part. It said, and the Lord sent against him bands. Do you see that? So, and the Lord sent against him bands. So these are bands. These are groups of armies. Are the Chaldees, the bands of the Syrians, the bands of the Moabites, the bands of the children of Ammon, the, and sent them against Judah to destroy it according to the word of the Lord which he spake by his servant the prophets. So now we know these bands went out against them. These armies went out against them and when it's talking about the bands we know that these armies had captains. So when it's talking about grasshoppers we know it's talking about captains. But when you read through your Bible if it's talking about 
a grasshopper was on a leaf and the man grabbed it, we know it's talking probably most likely literal. But when it's talking in this language, it's talking figurative. This is where you have to switch it on and off. Let's look at another example. We're going to go to Acts 10 and 1. And we're going to see some more examples. And here we go. Here go a clear example where it talks about it. It says, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. You see that? This is what I'm talking about. So we know this is what it's saying. In another place is Acts 21 and 31. And it says, and when they went up about to kill him, tidings came in the chief of the captain of the band that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. So now we know when you go back and you read Amos 1, and it says, Thus hath the Lord God have showed me, and behold, he formed captains. But you see right there, it's going to say grasshoppers. Captains in the beginning of the shooter and of the latter growth, and when it was latter growth after the king's mowings. This is the next part we're going to take care of. The king's mowing. We need to understand what this means. So the only way we can understand what this means, we're not going to a dictionary because most dictionaries are not going to show you a figurative manner. And then you have many people who will go to a, run to a commentary. In commentary, if he have it off because he's giving you his best judgment, but he's not giving you a precept of scripture to show you where it is, how can you ride with that? It's impossible. You can't be riding with something based on somebody saying something. You want to have the complete understanding on what it's saying. But we're going to find out what this is saying by what we're going to find out. Because this mowing of the grass, where it tells you when the in the first chapter, in number one, in the first verse, we're talking about in um in the latter growth. In latter growth after the king's mowing, and then it even goes down into verse 2. And it came to pass when he had made an end of eating the grass of the land. We have to know that it's talking about people. The grass is talking about people. But let's see. We want to make sure we pull precepts to understand. And that's without going to a dictionary. This is without going to a commentary. But you're going to find examples always in the Bible. This is why I always tell people, stop running to commentaries and depending on what some man wrote and thought. Because he's a man, same as myself. This is why I have to show you precepts, because I can't give you what my understanding is. I'm going to give you comments, but I can't give you my understanding. I have to give you the understanding of the Bible, because... You need to understand him. He is the one who have a place for you, not me. So all I am directed to do is to show you how to understand the Bible. So we need to understand mowing of the grass. And let's go over here. We're going to go to Psalms. We're going to look at 72. We're going to pick it up at 4 and watch the understanding on how we're going to see what grass is. It says, he shall judge the poor of the people. He shall save the children of the needy and shall break in pieces the oppressor. 
This is what he's talking about doing. They shall fear thee as long as the sun and the moon endure throughout all generations. He shall come down like rain upon what? The mown grass. It's talking about people the entire time. But you see, they gonna, but he gonna, he's going to come down on them like rain upon mowed grass. So he's talking about people all the time as showers that water the earth. So he's saying the same way he watered the earth, the same way he's going to come down upon his own people. This is all he is saying. Let's keep continue. And it says, in his day shall the righteous flourish. So he's letting you know. So we know grass cannot be righteous. People can. So this is how you know he was talking in a figurative manner, always, even over here in Psalm, but it's letting you know when you go back to Amos and it's talking about the king's mowing and then it gets in verse two and it's talking about the grass of the land. Now we know he's talking about people. How do we know? Because he's bringing up people in both sections and he using what? He using grass as the item to be looked at as people. Why? When you walk outside, you can look at grass and grass is without number. He's looking at it the same way as people. His people is always the same, always without number. This is how you see this. Then it says, in endurance of peace, so as long as the moon endures, he shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the rivers unto the ends of the earth that they dwell in the wilderness and shall bow before him and his enemies shall lick the dust. So you know clearly this is not talking about grass. But you see how he opened it up about grass. This is why we have to very well understand on what he's saying all the time. Now we're gonna we're gonna move down. We're gonna pick it up at verse four, and we're gonna continue. Then we're gonna park again at verse seven, and then we're gonna start doing some more explaining. In verse four, in Amos seven four, it says, "Thus saith the Lord God, showed unto me, and behold, the Lord called and contend by fire and devoured the great deep, and did eat up a part, and then said I." O Lord God, cease, I beseech thee. By whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. And then he said, And the Lord repented of this. This also shall not be, said the Lord. Why? Verse 7. Thus showed me. And behold, the Lord stood upon a wall. And when he stood upon the wall, made a plumb line with a plumb line in his hand. Now, again, we want to understand. See, we got to understand what scripture is saying all the time without going to the dictionary. We can't have you going to the dictionary. We can't have you going to commentary to find out what these things mean. What if you're somewhere and you don't have a dictionary with you? This is your problem. This is what we're going to teach you to get away from. Dictionaries and commentaries, you need to move away from them 
because your answers is always lies in the scriptures. So when you want to know what this plumb line is, we're going to find out. And he said he had a plumb line in his hand. This one is a little bit more trickier, but we're going to work this out together. So how are we going to find out what this plumb line? Let's first go. Let's go to Zechariah. I mean, we're going to Isaiah. That's I'm sorry. That's a mix around. We're going to Isaiah 28 and 16. And we're going to pick it up. We're going to hit 16 and verse 17. It says, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation a stone. So we know this referencing Christ. A tri-stone. So we know clearly now he's talking about Christ. A precious cornerstone. This seals the deal. And it says, As sure foundation, he that believeth shall not make haste. Why? Here we go. Verse 17. Judgment also will lay in the line what this plumb line because he's going to make also make it clear and righteous to the plummet all isaiah did is turned it around that's all that happened the line is still there but the plummet is the same thing he plummeted the line so you'll see him talk about the same way but he just turned it and he separated them that's all he did so then it says in hell shall sweep away in refuge of lies in the waters shall overflow the hiding places so when you go back and look at verse 7 he's telling you clearly it's a plumb line but he's telling you this is a line for who for the righteous he's separating this some going to be on the righteous side and some is not he's setting a line in the in the ground this is what he's saying. Now let's go to Zechariah. And we're going to look at 2 and 1. And we're going to see another word he liked to use. I lift up my eyes again and looked. And behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. So we know he had a measuring line. But what is he's measuring? We want to make sure all of this. So again, as I said from the beginning, we have to study to show ourselves approved. We have to dig into the scriptures and dig and dig until we get the answers that we're looking for on the passage we study without going to commentary or dictionaries. So again, what we want to understand we know he had a measuring line. So the same thing, the plummet line and the measuring line is one of the same. Let's go to Ezekiel 40 and 3. We're going to get some more understanding there. And it says, And he brought me thither, and behold, there was a man whose appearance was like the appearance of brass. So this lets you know the skin cone tone color of him. So we know this right here was a dark-skinned man. We know this is a black guy. We know this based on the appearance of brass. This is how you'll know who he is. Then it says, with the line of flux in his hand, again, a measuring reed. So we know this measuring reed is the same thing as the plumbing line. The same thing as the measuring line. All these are one of the same. And it said what? And he stood at the gate. This is another key that you have to go in and you have to dig to where you want to know what this gate he's standing at. 
because it's telling you this man stands at the gate who appearance is of brass. We done heard this name in Revelation and you see this name in Daniel. You see the same description in both areas. So we want to know who is this person standing at the gate, even though we have a lot of things that we know that he has done. You follow me? This is what we want to understand. So let's go down and we're going to look at verse 8 and get even more understanding on what he's saying. It says, And the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, A plumb line. Then said the Lord, Then said the Lord, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people, and I will not again pass by. We have to understand what he is saying here. This is again, we do not go into commentary and we're not going to go into dictionary to understand what he said right here. He said clearly, the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And he said a plumb line. So he's telling he plain as day. He said a plumb line. He said a line drawn in the ground. Then said the Lord, behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. So he's saying he's setting a plumb he's gonna set a line in the ground in Israel. And I will I will not again pass by them anymore. Why is he saying this this way? And I'm gonna show you why, and we're gonna understand why, because when you know when he set a plumb line, he's saying he's not gonna pass by, saying he's not gonna do ever again what he did before. Because what did he do? He's not gonna save in the manner as he did before. For the example, is the first time he set a plumb line, he set a plumb line between his people and another people. And we're going to see a, an example because we have to understand he will not again pass by them anymore. So if he's not going to pass by them anymore, we need to understand what he means. So we're going to find this out and we're going to look at Exodus 12 and verse 12. And this is how we're going to find out. And it says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night. So we know if he's going through Egypt and the Israelites lived in Gershom, we know these are two separate places. But he said, Both man and beast. Well, he said, Well, let me go back up. I'm sorry. And he says, I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. So he didn't say he's going to go smite all the firstborn in the land of Gershom, but watch. He said both man and beast and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. See, this is what he's letting you know what he's going to do. And he also said another part where he's doing it in 1223. He said, for the Lord will pass through and smite the Egyptians and when he seeth the blood upon the lentils in the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. Now with this uh, Exodus 12 and 12, it's also good to put 13 with that one. That one was forgot to be put in there, but it's but it's telling you that the blood shall be a token upon the houses 
where ye are. In the blood he should see, then he shall pass over you. And the plague should not be upon you. That's what he's talking about. He will not smite the land of Egypt. So we need to pair that where you see 12 and 12. You need to also put 13 right there with it. So that's one caveat that we need to make sure we have with it. Now we're going to look at another part where he's a plumb line was set in in the midst of all people. This is how we get, see, because what we got to do, when you can't find the precepts, we have to find the examples. This helps you in your study. So we know he set a plumb line in the midst of his people. So we know he divided the people in a line. This is what we know. So we know we know that we have to find scripture and dig through the precepts and understand where can we get an example where he has done this and how we do it. One example I'm going to show you, and there are a few other examples, and I didn't put them in there on purpose because I want you to use this as a as a as a as a uh, example board for you to help find you other scriptures to 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 completely fill this in. But we're gonna see this example. Let's go to Exodus 32. We're gonna pick it up at 25. We're gonna go to verse 26. He says, and when Moses saw that the people were naked, so he talking about they was full of sin, same as you see in Genesis. Why? Because when they sinned, why? They said they was naked. It's the same thing. And it says, For Aaron had made them naked unto their shame. So it lets you know, unto shame. They knew their sin amongst their enemies. Then Moses stood at the gate. Now we know, when we go back and we look, somebody else stood at a gate with a rod. Now, we also remember Moses said he's going to raise up a brethren unlike unto him in the midst of them. Who's what? He's going to separate this stuff. Same as what same. See, Moses spoke about it. He's doing the same thing. So Moses saying this one that's going to come after him, Moses doing the same thing. You see him doing this by the example. So this is a caveat. This is something you need to jot down. Most times when you're looking at some examples that you'll see that's, that's, um, that's uh, prophesied about Christ, it's a good thing. Most of your examples you can also pull out of the first five books. That's just something that you can do, and that's a go-to to where you can always hit and make sure you understand what's going on. But let's finish this out. It says, Then Moses stood in the gates, in the gate of the camp, and said, who is on the Lord's side? That's the line. And he said, Let them come unto me. And the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. So they separated themselves from the rest of the Israelites. This is what happened. This is how you know what the plumb line is. So when he set the plumb line in the midst of the people, he know you have one side you're going to go to or you're going to go to the other side. This is what he's talking about. So now we know when you look at verse 8, where he says in, in uh, Amos 7 and 8, it says, The Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? He said, A plumb line. And said, Lord, behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of the people Israel. This is how we know that plumb line 
was the ones where he said a line in there, and as we read through some other precepts, this is for the righteous, the people who try to continually do righteousness, and they practice righteousness. The other side is the one who is of the world. That's why he said he will not come through this way again. That's why he set the line there. Many is going to stay with the world, and some going to stay directly with the commandments of God. That's why he's talking about that way. Let's move down to verse 9. Amos 9 and 10. We're going to get some more understanding there. It says, And the high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall lay waste, and will rise again the house of Jeroboam with the sword. And Amaz, then Amaz, the priest of Bethel, sent Jeroboam sent to Jeroboam king of Israel, saying, Amos, have conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. What is this in the world is this saying? This is another part where we need to find out. It's saying, in the high places of Isaac. Now, the high places of Isaac is something pretty simple. And Isaac set up temples everywhere he prayed on the Lord. Basically, that's the easiest way to find it out. Those are holy places, temples, churches, tabernacles. That's all this is literally saying. You can see this all through scripture, especially in Genesis, when you see where Isaac had gotten a lot older. But verse 10, and then Amos, the priest of, of Bethel, saying to Amos, and I'm going to tell you the reason why he did this. And see, so Amos, the priest of Bethel, this is how we know where it's talking about the northern kingdom sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel. And he's in Samaria or still on the north side. This is where most people will get mixed up. Because where it's telling you about that, you'll see where you'll get into it. And, and, and most people say, well, the priest of Bethel sent to Jeroboam, the king of, uh, of Israel. And most people will mix that up. But what we have to do is all of them is north of Judah. See, because the king of Israel not the king of Judah, the king of Israel resided in Samaria. They was north of the kingdom of Judah. Same as Bethel. Bethel is north of the kingdom of, of uh, Judah. Same thing. It's no different. So in Bethel, in Israel, is uh, Bethel is, is a little bit south of Samaria. And that's where the king reigned for Israel. So that's why you see it in this way. So, but Bethel, the, 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 the priests of Bethel was still part of Israel, not the part of Judah. Judah was the southern kingdom. That's why you see it in this manner. So when you look at this, it says, so Amaz, the priest of Bethel, and I'll just put in there, in the northern side, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, which is still part of the northern side, but he's in Samaria, saying, and then once he was saying, Amos have conspired against the house of Israel that Jeroboam should die by the sword and Israel should be led into captive. So this is all he's really saying. 
So when you look at verse 9 and 10, this is all he's saying. So as you go through there, it's saying Amos, the priest of Bethel, the Jeroboam, saying that Amos has conspired against them in the midst of the house of Israel, in the land not able to bear all his work. So they, they didn't want to hear nothing he really had to say. This is, this is what the problem was. Because Amos is telling them something that they don't want to hear. But Amos is not from Israel. He's from the, he's from the tribes of Judah. So he went over into that land into his brother's side because these two tribes were split up. We had 10 tribes over on that side and we had the other three on the other side. But let's, let's move down and get some understanding there. So Amos 11, it says that Amos said, then Amos said, Jeroboam should die by the sword. Exactly what I was saying. And Israel should surely be led away captive out of their own land. Also, Amos said unto Amos, Thou, O thou seer, go flee thee away into the land of Judah. So he's telling him to go back. And then we're going we're gonna to explain some of this. We're going to finish this out and then we're going to explain it. And then it says, And there, and there eat bread and prophesied there, but prophesied not again anymore here in Bethel. For it is the king's chapel and it is the king's court. So he's making itself clear. And what is he saying? So he's telling him, as this, you'll see, even in, uh, if you look at it in Hebrew, it's saying, seer. That's what he's saying. And, and that's what you see most times people call um, prophets. And they're saying, uh, prophesy, who prophesy in the future. This is all he's saying. He's telling him to go back to the land of Judah for there is a sanctuary of their God or the Holy One. That's all they're saying. Whose name you prophesy. Because they prophesy to know. Because as you see right up here, he said, this is the king's chapel. This isn't the most highest chapel. That's what he's saying here. He's making that clear. And then he said, then eat bread there. Why he's saying that? Because he's telling you don't even because not you're not gonna get nothing here. Why? There will give you crumbs and pay you that prophesied over there. Speaking of the commandments of God, this is all they saying because this is what Amos came to tell them about. This is all he came to say, and we have to understand right here when he's talking about you know and there eat the bread over there. He said you go eat you know you can go eat the crumbs over there. But we're not going to give you anything for prophesying to us. You coming to the king's chapel, you're not coming to the house of God, and we, this is not what we're doing. This is not the thing we're running here. Let's, let's move down a little bit more. Let's go to Exodus 3 and 1 and get a total understanding. So we're going to see one thing here, and we actually going to, up front in front of one part because what's going to happen here actually uh let me see here is actually not here so what i'm gonna do i'm gonna read 14 and then we're gonna then we're gonna go here to the precepts on that to get the understanding and it says then answered amos and said amen said to amen I was no prophet. 
I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord said unto me, I followed the flock. And the Lord said un unto me, go prophesy unto my people, Israel. Now, therefore, hear thou word of the Lord. Thus saith, prophesy not against Israel and drop thy word against the house of Isaac. So we knew in the house of Isaac was talking about Judah and he's talking about prophesy not prophesied against Israel who was residing there. But watch how this goes. Now, he said he was not a prophet. Now, most people sit there and you know they say, well, he's a minor prophet. But he said he's sending him to his people. Why we know this and we're going to sit there and we're going to precept and get the good understanding of that. Let's go to Exodus 3 and 1 because this one was the same way. And we're going to look at Moses. He was. He said he was a uh, he was a herdsman. Moses was the same thing. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father in the in uh, his father in law, the priest of Midian, and led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. So we know that Moses was doing the same thing. The identical thing, no difference. So. That's why he said he was, he, you know, he, he said clearly that he, you know, he was no prophet at all. Do you ever hear that Moses talk about that his father was a prophet, his, 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 his blood father? You don't hear him talk about that. Let's pick it up in Exodus 3 and 4. And it says, and when the Lord saw that he had turned aside and see, to see, God called unto him, called, called unto him out in the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Here, here am I. Three and eight. And I came down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto a place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Verse 10. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore I will send thee unto Pharaoh. Now what did um, Amos say? The Lord came to him and the Lord sent him. Same thing. No difference. No difference. But the difference is he spoke to Moses face to face. And Moses took out all of them out, out, of, out of Egypt. So this is a little bit different but it's the same example to use to help find out, to understand what is going on. So it says, Come therefore, I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Egypt don't mean nothing but a bondage. So he was saying, just bring Israel out of the house of bondage. This is all he's saying. Now, 
this is how we know that he was they was being oppressed and this is what the problem was. Now we're gonna look at the main part and it, and we and most people always try to figure out one and if you ever think about it, why did God choose Amos for that task? See that's the question. Why did God choose Amos? For that task. This is why we have to understand when we go through scriptures, we need to be able to answer our own questions. We need to know why did he send Amos for this task at all? So we're going to answer that and we're going to look at another part before we go down through here and we're going to see what it's talking about in the in the in the verse 17. And we're going to go to Romans 9, 11 through 13. And we're going to pick that up. And we're also going to hit another part on it. It says, For the children not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but him that calleth. This is the answer. Why did God choose Amos? For the purpose according to God. According to what? Election. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. But that was according to God. Why? Because before they was even born, this already, he's already making this statement. Why? According to election. So we have to understand why he does what he does. Let's look a little bit deeper. Let's go down to verse 18. It says, therefore, he has he mercy on whom he will have mercy in whom he will, uh, whom he will, he hardeneth. So what is basically saying, even in this verse, he's going to have mercy on whom he's going to have mercy. And he gonna harden who he's gonna harden who who he don't he will harden is people he's just not gonna deal with based on his foreknowledge. Do that make unrighteousness in God? No. This is what we have to understand, and this is the same thing he did here. And people say, well, still why he did this? Same. We're gonna see another example because we're gonna see right in the Psalms he chose David, and he's gonna say the same thing. He chose David, also his servant, and took him from where? The sheepfold. What do Amos say he was? He was a herdsman. What was Moses? He was a watcher of flock. It's, it's all going the same. It's all doing the same thing. Here go your examples on why he was selected. David was also a servant, and he took him from the sheepfold. From the following of the youths, great with the young and brought him to feed Jacob his people. And he's talking who? Talking about who? The Israelites. This is all he's saying. In Israel, his inheritance, so he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. So this, we have to understand is God going to choose who he wants. 
according to his election, not according to ours. This is what we have to remember. So, we're going to look at verse 17. And this is the last verse. It says, Therefore, saith the Lord, thy wife shall be a harlot in the city, and thy sons and thy daughters shall fall by the sword, and the land shall be divided by line, and thou shalt die in the polluted land, and Israel shall surely go into captivity for his land. Now, this is all he was saying the entire time. If you go back and read it from verse 1, this is a statement wrapped into one. This is the mistake that most, you can go to most commentary, they will sit there and they will high-rise this 17th verse. Why? Because they will say, thy wife shall be a harlot. And they're saying that she's going to go and she's going to be selling her body for money. And that's not what this is saying. It's saying, thus said the Lord, thy wife shall be a harlot in, a, in the city. And thy sons, so it's letting you know, your sons and thy daughters shall fall by the sword. Why? Because they're going to be worshiping everything other than God. And when you're doing everything other than God, that makes you go into whoredom. But guess what? It makes you a harlot because you're going to also be giving those children to Moloch. That's payment. That's what makes you even more of a harlot. Because you're selling for salvation. This is what this is talking about. So when you're giving up your children and you're thinking you're gaining salvation by giving your children to Moloch, you're making yourself a harlot. Why? Because you're whoring yourself to a false god that can't do anything for you. And if you see, how can it sit there and say that they're going to fall by the sword and the land shall be divided by the line. Everything talking about just land and talking about polluted by false doctrine, polluted by false worship. This is all this saying, but if you look at a lot of people who write commentary, they'll twist this completely around on you. They'll sit there and tell you that this woman right here is talking about the land. And I can show you this here where we can even go into a, and I don't have this in my thing, but let's go to um, Hosea. So if you have your Bible, go to Hosea 1 and 1. And this should tell you a lot about what's going to go on. We're going to read two, verse, two verses and, and you're going to see right here it says in the word in the word of the lord that came unto hosea the son of barry in the days of, of Isaiah, jotham ahaz and in um hezekiah king of judah and the king of jeroboam the son of joash the king of israel so we know that israel he's constantly dealing with but watch this it says the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take unto thee a wife of whoredom. Now most people are going to tell you clearly that this is talking about a wife that prostitutes herself. We know this cannot be true. Why? Because 
in Deuteronomy, it tells you that you cannot marry a prostitute. So how can God tell you to break his law and he's telling you to go marry some uh, 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 wife or whore? He's, breaking, he's telling you to do something to break his own law. He's not going to even do that by example. This is part of the problem. This is why so much false doctrine is out there. Because he's going to even let you know why, what she is. It says a wife of whoredom. It says why? In the children of whoredom. So he wants somebody who had grown up into this false worship and worshiping false idols. And this is just complete whoredom. Why? Because Israelites is married to God. So if you're married to God, you're practicing whoredom. Because you're going out there and you actually adulterate, you have an, you committing adultery on God. And it says in the children of whoredom, why? It's going to tell you why. For the land have committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. That's all it's saying. But most people will tell you constantly, and constantly well, this talking about he married a wife who was a prostitute. This is not true. It's telling you all the time, for the land have created great order. The people there is worshiping everything. Why? It's telling you who is even dealing with. The king of Israel. Every king in Israel is telling you about them. And they're telling you these, these kings worship everything incorrectly. So, with this here, we didn't hit verse 17. We don't went through it. We don't went through the, the, the understanding thereof. We have used the examples to which you can go through and get a better understanding of the word to where you can use this as an example to where you can do further studies and you'll get the complete understanding of all things. Because even where, where, where we know where he's talking about the sycamore fruit and that's what he's talking about, he's talking clearly about wild figs. And if you go look up wild figs, you'll clearly see what he's doing. Because he said he was a herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. When he's talking about sycamore fruit, he's talking about wild figs. You can even you can go you can even go look that up if you decide to go look it up. You're gonna see, and you have to put in sycamore, uh, sycamore figs, and you're gonna it's gonna show you tons of them. And you'll see that it's talking about clearly nothing but about figs. That's it. But with that, I wish that you guys had a great understanding, and I and I wish that this um, this class teaching them this Bible study on Amos seven one through seventeen it gives you a little bit closer to where you can do deeper studies a little bit more and a little bit more thorough without running to commentary and dictionaries to get the understanding of God's word. So with that, I wish that each and every person have some understanding and hope that it edifies you in some way or some manner to where we will see you on this coming this coming Sabbath day to where we will be doing the teaching on obey them that have rule over you. And we're going to get some understanding there. So with that, I bid each and every person a great shalom. <laughs>